Crypto wallets, what once started as storing your Bitcoin on a piece of paper, has evolved into using apps and hardware to become the new secure storage facilities. Some software wallets are pretty basic, but others are upping their game by providing the ability to store multiple assets, swap cryptos on the fly, and facilitate buying and selling of cryptos. Paul Puey has created one such wallet, and it's called Edge. Today, we welcome Paul to the show to discuss not only his product, but also topics such as the misconceptions of private key security and finding the balance between centralized exchanges and DEXs. This interview will keep you on the edge of your seat. See what I did there? If not, you will soon because it's episode number 283 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm a man on the edge, Travis Wright. I'm a man on the edge. Living on the edge. Living on a prayer. Okay, that's good. But but I'm halfway there. Well, that's so. good. I'm glad. So we got all kinds of song references today, and uh, this is a good one. This is a we had a chance to meet Paul. I believe we met him at Consensus. Yeah, at one of those after party mm-hmm. deals. Well, I did. You weren't there. Oh yeah, I left a day early. Yeah. Uh, so you you just imagine that you met him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you well, did, did meet him because you did the interview. That's true. I, well, we did. We chatted. I mean, it was a great interview, so I did meet him. Now, Paul's really good. And uh, welcome. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Kahn. That's Travis Wright. And Travis, you have a story to tell. I think it's unrelated to crypto. I think it's some banter. Well, right? we have to have a little bit of banter. So so you've been doing VR for quite a while, right? Yeah, I've, I bought the Oculus Rift right after the Kickstarter. Mm, very nice. Yeah. So I recently got the uh, VR, the Oculus Quest. And I believe you got that as well. I have that as well. We've been playing poker. You guys need to get in. If you guys have VR, look for me sometimes in poker. I'm I'm normally in there. Well, poker. we probably need to like schedule, right, a day, a time and a day for people who are on Quest mm-hmm. to join us. Well, I think if you even have Rift or even if you have like the um, the uh, PS4 the Go. version, you can. I don't think you can with the Go, but I think you can with the – it's like multiple multiple devices are able to connect to the – a poker stars VR, which is pretty cool. I'm having fun with okay. that. But uh, you know how you know technology is always a huge you know it's a huge advancement in different things. And I just have I just have one thing that I just discovered yesterday, Mr. Joe Com. 4K VR porn. That's all that's all I'm gonna say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Travis Wright. That's good to know. It's really good to see how the porn industry is taking the VR world by storm and utilizing these new technologies. <laughs> It is the bad VR podcast. Oh my goodness! Extra bad. Well, like, Whoa, this is like right up in my face. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I really hate to give shout outs to our sponsor, <laughs> <laughs> but for a completely different subject that is uh, neither pornographic nor 4K nor in VR, but it's all about the cryptos. Divi, you guys have heard us talk about it. By now, you've probably opened up your master node, haven't you? I know hundreds, if not thousands of people 
have opened up their one-click masternode, the Mochi, M-O-C-C-I, that means masternode one-click cloud installer. And once you've got it set up, guess what? It's mining while you're working, while you're playing, while you're sleeping, while you're eating, while you're using your Quest or your Rift or even while watching porn, I suppose, uh, the Divi masternodes are mining away and storing crypto. So I launch mine every few days to see, oh, yeah, I got more Divi in there. It's I'm doing its thing, right and you guys can check it. it out. DiviProject.org. It's some cool stuff. Check it out, and thanks to Divi for sponsoring the bad whatever we are today podcast. The bad VR porn. That would be 240 uh, or, you know, 7 720 porn it's not good it's very pixelated you are bad. <laughs> your 4k is the way oh my gosh i i'm rarely speechless but i know that i have words in the interview that we did with paul Puey. so let's just go to that not all crypto wallets are created equal well, sure, on the surface, it might appear that they all store Bitcoin or some other cryptos, but there's much more to wallets than just the storing of your tokens. And today we're going to learn about the Edge wallet from the creator of it. He's the CEO, co-founder of Edge. His name's Paul Puey, and I met Paul at uh, Consensus in New York City. Mr. Travis Wright was already gone, but now he's here and Paul's here. Welcome to Bad Crypto, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be on the show. Listen to a few of the episodes in the past. And uh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. It was a good time over in, in Consensus. And you, I think the only night of Consensus where a rooftop party could be had. We had great weather, good times, good drinks. So good, and good food. Like good they food. Kept, yeah, actually, food was pretty good over there. It was super good. So Wait a second, we I had to leave so you guys could have good weather? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you left on like Tuesday, I presume, right? When it was storming, rain, cold. It was, all, it was cruddy every day. We had, yep, to have, yep. we had to have we had to have we had to have the umbrellas everywhere we went. Yep. Come Wednesday, gorgeous. But don't worry, don't feel too bad. Come Thursday, Friday, it became pretty again. Let's actually get into the interview here. I want to learn about Paul and a little bit about your background. So why don't you kind of fill us in on where you came from? Start somewhere after I was born and bring us up to date. Somewhere after I was born. So I saw this big light opening and a doctor kind of peeking out at me, and then suddenly I started coding. I've been computer computer geek pretty much all of my life you know coded databases when i was in like seventh grade and i think i've had a life riddled with great ideas that i never capitalized on i think right after college i built a site that allowed people to join and have profiles and link each other as friends and post photos and tag each other on the photos might sound somewhat familiar this was in like 1999 and I, I built that site for my own friends. Like we call it Summer Madness. And then suddenly other people wanted to join. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is for my friends, you know, and locked them out. Mm. And you obviously just didn't see. Good the idea. Other people have control. friends. Yeah, too, great Paul. idea, right? Yeah. Exactly. You're like, oh, this is like for my discord little, you know, group of friends from college yeah. and whatnot, you know, and turned off the entire potential of what amounted to a little back then it would have been, I guess, Friendster, mm-hmm. you know, not quite MySpace, not quite Facebook. But I built that um, and just a fun little thing for for friends yeah. and, and whatnot. You know, that's but, actually that, that's interesting. I had a thing called Think Lab that I had put together for like artists and musicians and designers in in ninety nine mm-hmm. two thousand. 
And um, and basically, it was like membership. You could upload photos. We gave everybody fifty megabytes <clears throat> of web space for free. Whoa, they could have they huge. could have their own. They could literally have their own website, like whatever. They could be Paul Method dot com, and um, we were rocking it. And then my business partner was like doing lots of drugs and spending all the money, and that didn't work out so well. well at least you had the right idea, and you knew it was going to be a business. I was like, why didn't I turn this thing into a business? This would have been awesome. You know, I had done that and I'd actually in, in the process of building that website, I actually created a framework that allowed most of the content on the different pages of the site to be served up via a database. And in the end, that effectively was an early version of WordPress. It was a content management nice. system where you can create articles and post them in, into the site and edit and, and lay out the, the site based on a theme that you create. And of course, that was something that I just saw was like a fun little thing that I didn't, you know, really share and become widely used i mean in a way too back then there wasn't github there wasn't a way to kind of upload your code and then allow people to see it and well, share your code. you know it. like this is, this is code that i created i don't want anybody to see my code uh, then yeah actually actually i actually had published uh, in like seventh grade i wrote a database for the commodore 128 and 64 and i published that into freeware ah, nice you know, and and so I was already kind of familiar with the the ecosystem, but from a code sharing point of view, it was hard. You can publish the binary, but there wasn't a good place to publish code and share it and update it. But you know, that's like a few of the nuggets that I had I had kind Beautiful. of built, and then I had actually worked. I went to Berk went to Berkeley for college, software hardware engineering. Uh, went to Nvidia. Wait, so you went to Berkeley, so now you're a raging liberal. Did that happen? Uh, no, actually, I went to Berkeley and never actually I never actually graduated. <laughs> that's good. You saved yourself. You saved yourself just in time. I was just in time. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Just before I got dreadlocks and started smoking weed every day. So yeah, went went to Berkeley, did engineering, um, went to Nvidia not not long after graduating, and uh, actually right before I I, did, I actually invented something as a as a senior project, and this might be a little bit of a technical thought, but it, it you know computers have clock cycles. They kind of like tick, right? Megahertz, gigahertz, terahertz, all that kind of stuff. It's just how quickly this thing goes up and down in voltage, and that's how fast your computer can calculate you know operations. Um, and that's also used for memory, for reading data in and out of memory. Well, I invented this little idea where, you know, instead of reading memory on just the down tick when voltage goes down, let's read also when voltage goes up. That way we can get twice the amount of bandwidth. Well, if you've ever heard of DDR RAM, that effectively came out several years later and exactly was that. I kind of invented it three years prior. Was that was became, that the uh, Dance Dance Revolution RAM? That was, exactly. Was exactly. Yep. You take two steps instead of one. <laughs> All right. But it was just a small little nugget of like, oh, okay, this is a unique idea. And the professor at the time was like, oh, that is, actually does work. It is cool. And we had the fastest performing kind of, you know, CPU uh, in our architecture class. But, you know, I kind of put it aside and said, okay, you know, go into the work world. And so I was, like I said, riddled with a few cool ideas that I never really capitalized on. And so after working in the space for a while, I worked in the small business after NVIDIA doing engineering. And then when I got into crypto, I said, okay, this is now an opportunity that I'm going to capitalize on. I'm going to say, I'm actually going to build something for the space and not miss out on kind of the next revolution. Because um, I'd seen a lot of what I had built in the past and kind of like just put aside and didn't really capitalize on it. And I said, this time, going to actually take advantage. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, back in 2014, you were named one of the top three mobile apps for Bitcoin. So you've actually been at this for a few years now. Quite some time. Yep, we... Founded the company in uh, January 2014. And so I, I only heard about Bitcoin in 2013. But after using it for like literally a couple of months, I'm like, okay, there's a lot to build here. There's definitely a lot of improvements that can be made into this industry. So let's 
let's form a company, let's build something, get it out there and be a part of this, this shift, this paradigm shift. And so 2014 formed the company, uh, launched the app in mid, late 2014. Um, and we've been building since and growing um, and actually did a bit of a bit of a pivot, a branding and focus pivot, similar technology, but refocused around what a wallet is. Like you'd, you'd kind of introduced the entire podcast as, you know, there's a lot of different wallets and they work differently. I'm starting to think that that word is now a really bad word to use to describe the tech, you know, in an actual bad way, because it, it's so broad. There's so many apps now that are called wallets, but they do so many different things mm-hmm. differently between it, between themselves. And they each have different use yeah, cases. Yeah, it used to be, used to be Airbits. So I remember Airbits. Okay. I actually, believe this or not, Mr. Joel Com, I lost a little bit of crypto on Airbits. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen. Nothing is absolutely, nothing is absolutely yeah. foolproof. Travis loses. Sure. Travis likes to lose. Crypto. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do of all time. It's my best. Oh, you help us out so much in, in, in that sense. You make it a little bit rarer oh, for the rest good. of us. I didn't lose very much. It was just a few bits, but I did lose some on Airbits. And and also my son did too. So thank you for that. <laughs> so was this like you just kind of like put it away? It was a small amount just kind of No, like no, I think what happened, what happened for his what happened for him was he had I paid him some Bitcoin on his phone and then a girl at the pool threw his shoe into the pool and his phone was in the pool. And so like it mm-hmm. killed us so he lost all of his he lost all of his Airbits in there. Actually, so technically speaking, so you might not know this about Airbits, maybe you thought you lost it, but one of the kind of hallmark differences between Airbits, Edge, and all of the other apps in this space is that your keys are automatically backed up as soon as you create your account. So it might have been a while, so you might have forgotten. But if right at that moment when he, his phone got destroyed, he could actually just go download the app on another phone and log in, oh, and nice. his funds just show up. Let's see. Does it just tap in because of the because of the Apple ID or because of the phone number or what? Uh, no, it's the account that you create inside of Airbits and Edge. It's a username and password, which are used to encrypt your keys, but also back them up. So it makes, it makes a non-custodial app wallet exchange feel like a fully centralized one. So our goal when we first built Airbits, and the thing that I said, hey, we can make this a lot easier for the industry, is to make a app that is fully user controlled feel like what you are used to in normal mobile apps and websites. That's beautiful. Feel like a regular account. Mm-hmm. That was our goal. So hopefully there was there's some hope there and be able to actually recover accounts and people have been able to recover from a lost phone yeah. and to some degree. Well, I might be able passwords. to. Well, it wasn't much. It was just like it was. I think it was like half a Litecoin, so it wasn't much. It was just a little bit of some sum in there. But I remember playing around with it's it. About 50, 60 bucks right now. You think so much, Joel? Com. That's yeah, good. Yeah, can be something. So you know your your wallet. I mean, I, I've seen the new Edge wallet. It's beautiful, by the way. I I really like the Thank the uh, the new branding and the way that you have it set up and. Um, so what would you say is, I guess, the key differentiator? Like what sets your wallet apart from everybody else's wallet? And why should people go and use your wallet? Got it. So number one, I won't describe us as much as a wallet anymore. We're effectively a non-custodial exchange, right? And if you look at the different wallets that people are using, they have different focuses. So our focus is the exchange services, whereas another wallet's focus might be kind of simple sending and receiving, you know, kind of Venmo-like style, where another wallet's focus might be being a DAP browser, which is very different. So those three are kind of very distinguishedly different types of wallets. And so the word wallet is no longer that good of a term to use. So effectively, if someone is looking for a way to buy, sell, trade cryptocurrencies without giving up control of their funds to a central party, Edge is a great solution for that. That's one of the distinguishing features. But as well, 
there are a few non-custodial exchanges, effectively, if you kind of describe them as that, that are being built that alongside Edge, meaning other companies are building some, some things similar. What then differentiates us is definitely the key management, where you don't have to see 24 words. You don't have to write anything down and back it up. And then restoring isn't typing in 24 words into a new phone for every wallet that you've got in the uh, I hate the that. It's such so, a pain. It's a pain. Exactly. That was one of the things that I saw that triggered me to say, hey, we've got to build you, you a better got ecosystem. Trigger warning. Sure. Doesn't everyone get triggered? Everyone gets triggered by something. Now, let me ask you this. Aren't all wallets kind of misnamed, though? Like, shouldn't they be called, like, like keychains? Because really, it's a keychain more than a wallet. I feel like I would call a hardware wallet a keychain because it literally just holds keys and does nothing else. You know, the the interface for that hardware wallet, you know, could be a desktop app that just can send and receive, or it could be a mobile app that's Venmo-like, and or it could be a full exchange service type of an app. And so uh, you're right, they're totally misnamed. But the thing that people aren't quite adapting to is we don't have good terms for these specific use cases for the different wallets. I think Dapp Browser tends to be a commonly used one for Ethereum and EOS type uh, uh, wallet apps. And then I think everything else after Dapp Browser is just called a wallet. You know, whereas really some, like for example, like Dropit is one that just sends and receives, Blue Wallet just sends and receives, but does like Lightning Network because it really is meant to be like a Venmo style application. But we're really trying to differentiate and it's like, okay, well, the focus isn't so much payments, right? The focus isn't so much a DAP browser. The focus really is, you know, being a non-custodial exchange. And so we aim to have exchange services available all over the world in a broader set of regions than even Coinbase will ever have because we're software. They're more of a, a financial services company. And so it'll end up being very regional, you know, US primarily, and they'll might reach out to Canada and Europe, but I highly doubt they'll end up in parts of South, in, in majority of South America, Middle East, Asia. And that's where we'll be before the end of the year because we do it through partnerships. So tell us a little bit more about some of the, uh, the other features in your not a wallet wallet that uh, people would appreciate need to know by the way the website for it everybody is edge.app app so feature wise on the exchange side one really cool thing that the app does is if you want to do a crypto to crypto exchange it connects to four different uh, exchange providers uh, shapeshift changely change now and fast and there's five more coming down the pipe that are kind of in testing right now and it will automatically find across all of them the pair that you're looking to swap the volume that you're looking to swap because many have maximums and minimums and then it'll actually hunt for best price across all of them and if you've ever done a crypto to crypto swap and realize that you are fairly limited by one of the different providers like change will support some currencies change now will support others shapeshift supports others but requires an account and blah 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 it's quite a pain to be able to find which one supports the swap you want let alone try to get the best deal whereas the app invisibly does it for you you just punch in the, the pair, the amount, and it finds the best deal. Well, that's interesting. We actually, I also, I met Eric Benz um, of Changely at uh, the same event, and he, we just had him on the show previously. And he, you know, so Changely looks through the various exchanges to find the best rate. So what you're saying is you're looking through all the swaps to find which of them has the best rate uh, collectively. Exactly. And not only that, but not all of the swap exchanges have all the pairs. So we're able to look across all of them to find the pair that you're looking for. So while they might find the best rate, they're only finding, you know, changely finding the best rate. They're only finding the best rate in the pairs that they support. And 
not only that, well, we're noticing, especially when we had only one swap partner, um, that a swap partner will frequently run out of inventory in a certain currency, just randomly at different times because people buy a lot of that currency and they're having to replenish it. They're basically their hot wallet for that currency runs out. By having multiple partners, we're able to fall back to one that does have liquidity in that pair. So it gets you a far more fault-tolerant experience. That's just kind of like you don't even have to think. You just say what you want. We find the best. That's good. Them. I don't want to think. Travis likes yeah. thinking some, but I don't want so to. So I have a question. I do have a question. So, you know, I remember I think it was maybe about a year ago, John McAfee was like, uh, don't keep your any of your crypto on your mobile device. You know, someday there's going to be some mm-hmm. virus that will sweep through all these different devices and grab everyone's crypto. And I'm, he made a comment along that. What? What are your thoughts along that? Because, I mean, I've always sort of held very little crypto on my phone just because, you know, phones are vulnerable. I'd, I'd prefer to have my crypto sort of off uh, of anything that's connected to the Internet. So how would you maybe combat that? And how does how does Edge maybe prevent that through security? Right. So I think that the concerns of specifically mobile devices are way overblown and really try to dig and ask yourself, how many people have had um, and how many news reports have there been of people that have had a mobile phone compromised via malware that's able to actually rip out private keys, especially encrypted private keys? The only stories I've heard of an actual mobile phone compromise getting access to keys have been apps that do not encrypt the key, hmm. meaning they leave them unencrypted sitting on the device, You know, kind of sitting ducks to, to malware. Um, and even then, that's an incredibly, incredibly rare instance. And if you ask yourself the rarity of that instance versus the frequency of people simply losing keys, like not writing the keys down, you know, just completely forgetting about it. From what we can gather, the odds of someone losing money through two primary cases, which is uh, a centralized exchange hack, because they just figure, I don't want to deal with the key management myself, they leave it there, or mismanaging the keys themselves. Those are by far way higher on the chart then, oh, I actually got malware on my mobile device and it hacked my key. And the things that like you'd ask, like what, what does Edge do to help prevent that? Number one, strong client-side encryption before the keys are even put onto the device. So they're created, but then stored on the device, encrypted. So malware doesn't have direct access to those keys. It would still have to go through the encryption. So that's a huge level of protection. And what we're trying to do is solve the problem of why people are losing their crypto, which is them forgetting password and key uh, passwords, uh, forgetting to back up the keys or leaving them on centralized exchanges. And so really, that's, it's a bit of an overblown concern. And I think the reason why that is, is because we've had SIM port hacks, right? Where people are losing crypto, not because the phone is hacked, but because the phone company is hacked. Well, that happened to Travis, actually. Happened, it happened, yeah. happened to me. Yeah. It happened to me, but I didn't lose any crypto because I was, I don't have crypto on a centralized service because he's a badass there you go they, they sure as hell tried though i'm sure they did exactly I mean, the reason they even bother trying is because we're probably public figures in the crypto space they know who to target so i didn't lose any crypto i don't hold any any funds in a centralized exchange where my sim a sim port hack would matter but when that hits the news and you see headlines you know so-and-so gets phone hacked and loses crypto, that's everyone's knee-jerk reaction is, oh, phones are unsafe. Uh, you shouldn't leave crypto on there. And instead, you should use a hardware wallet. When the person might have not even been using a phone wallet, they could have just been you had a Coinbase account. 
Yeah. But that's that's what the media says. And so that's that that's that knee jerk reaction that's happening. Right. When, you know, ICOs ha- were hacked because somebody hacked the website and changed the address, they make it sound like a crypto hack and it's not at all. It's somebody simply hacking a website. And and so I'm glad that it doesn't happen, you know, nearly as as often as uh as the media says it does. Yeah. And, and, and phones and even computers as well are becoming more and more secure. Like I, my, my theory is that we are not going to see mass adoption of hardware wallets. Like they're not going to be in the hands of consumers. They'll be in the hands of like hedge funds and banks and whatnot for sure. Organizations and groups, but for the average consumer, their phone and their computer will become very, very, very secure. And then they've got secure elements, and soon those elements will be able to hold and and sign transactions with the keys. So there'll be a lot that you can then do for added security on the device itself versus having to have a secondary device. I think that's where we kind of really achieve a high level of uh, security without additional cost and additional burden of this hardware wallet and write down 24 words and whatnot. Paul, I'm kind of curious what your vision is of the future of of exchanges, both the centralized ones and the, the decentralized exchanges. You know, where's uh, because centralization is everything we're trying to get away from, but now we've got you know Coinbase and Bitrix and Binance, right, and they're right, all right. super centralized. They're super centralized, and um, I I like to look at the the term decentralized or centralized. And actually, just stop using them. I just stop using them because it's just, it's so ill-defined. I don't know what it means anymore. But really, I look at what's the benefit you're trying to get out of you know decentralization. So, in the case of Coinbase, obviously, here's the negative of using them. Number one, you lose privacy. Um, number two, you lose a censorship resistance. Like you cannot send your money anywhere anywhere in the world um, to anyone anywhere in the world. And number three, you risk you risk the security implication of one person getting into Coinbase and getting everybody's money. So they're a huge target for attack. I guarantee every second someone is is trying to penetrate them, like every second of every day. So those are kind of the, the some of the key reasons why you wouldn't want to use it. Now, can decentralization solve that? Some ways, yes, but sometimes you can probably solve it even without fully decentralized exchanges, like a full DEX. So the custodial nature of Coinbase to me is one of my biggest concerns. Um, and that you can solve by going to a non-custodial exchange, even if it's not a decentralized exchange. And that's what the wallets are. That's what Edge is, is a non-custodial exchange. You hold your keys, you hold your funds, and the centralized exchanges, such as the shapeshifts, the changelies, the change nows, um, the wires and whatnot, they are ephemeral. They're temporarily holding your money. They're, uh, your money temporarily passes through them, but it doesn't sit there. So your risk is far, far lower than it would be with money sitting on Coinbase. And Coinbase doesn't make it easy to buy and and withdraw, right? It's almost like buy, but it sits there. You got to go through extra effort to get it out. Yeah, and they're also actually censoring people from having Coinbase accounts now. Now they had that thing with Milo oh, yeah. Yiannopoulos not long ago, where they said, "Nope, you can't have a crypto account here with us." So like, like that. The whole point yeah, of crypto exactly. is the hey, everybody's everybody's the same. We can all you know kumbaya. And then then Coinbase, one of the largest elephants in the room, says, "Nope." And if they start picking off people yeah. who can and can't have an account with them and people can't convert crypto to fiat, right, in America, I mean, other places you can, but I mean, like, that's a huge problem. That is, except that I don't think that they're going to be a critical way that people interface, globally interface with the, with the blockchain, with Bitcoin, with other cryptocurrencies. I have this theory, and I've been talking about this at a few meetups, which is that 
the exchanges of cryptocurrency are the old ISPs of the internet. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a wild guess, but I'm guessing you guys are old enough to remember the, the 90s and the early startups. No, Mr. Joel Kahn doesn't era. know anything about the internet. I, I, about I, I was uh, one of the startups. Yeah. You were, there you go. So if you remember the earliest startups, they weren't even the websites. They were literally the ISPs. Those are the earliest of the earliest of internet startups or ISPs. If you remember at home network, COVAD communications, they're two examples. They're the ones that I remember from being in the Bay Area, SF Bay Area. And they had a clear business model. We connect you to the internet. We charge you a fee for it. They had three main problems, though. Number one, they were super regional. They couldn't scale globally. Right? It was just too hard. Number, number two, they were right ripe with regulatory burden right a lot of telco regulation that they had to adhere to and number three they had to beg the incumbents for access to the existing networks right like, please can we please access your wires to connect people to the internet please mr at&t pack no Bell, you may you not no. no you're not exactly and so this is exactly what the exchanges of cryptocurrency deal with is the, the regulatory burden, regional uh, regional limitations, and they have to beg the banks for access to their their infrastructure. So my theory is that come five ten years, those companies will get wiped out, just the same way the ISP startups got wiped out. They might have good acquisitions, right? Some you know investors do really well. I'm sure Coinbase will have a very successful acquisition, but the existing companies in the space, the the incumbents, can just basically do what they're doing. 10 times better because they already are banks. They already have the, the regulation in place. Right? They are the you bridge. You don't think banks are going to become obsolete? You think they're just going to evolve? They're, they're going to be the exchanges. Are they going to hold the keys privately? Are they going to hold your private keys? Or I mean, that's that was one of the thoughts. Is like If you choose to yeah. use them, well, if you choose to use them, however, the brand names, like if you think about the, the era of the internet, right? ISPs connected you, but now who the heck knows who an ISP is anymore? Who cares what ISP you're connecting to? What you care about are the different websites you connect to the internet through. What are the different apps that sit on top that are global apps that run anywhere? The ISP is just kind of like that rail. They're still valuable. They're still needed, but you don't really care about them anymore. And the same thing in crypto, what are the apps you're going to sit on top? Those are the wallets and they can connect you to those rails, such as a decentralized, such as a decentralized exchange, connect you to the centralized exchanges, connect you to the instant swappers, but the brands that people will be interfacing through will be the apps, will be the wallets. They will be the brands that you recognize as, oh, who do I buy from? Oh, I use Edge or I use BRD or I use my, my Ether wallet. Those will be the brands that you'll actually be known, will be known as the exchanges of the future. So then people will just go to their bank and uh, convert their crypto to fiat there. If fiat even exists then. Actually, they wouldn't even go to the, they wouldn't necessarily go to the bank. They might have an account with a bank, but the exchange, say I have a, uh, an account with mm -hmm. Bank of America, but Wells, but I'm, uh, I connect to an app that uses Wells Fargo for exchange services, right? So Wells Fargo becomes a cryptocurrency exchange. My app that, that I'm using, say it's Edge, connects to Wells Fargo for fiat to, to crypto conversion. They, they are just simply the receiving bank. Bank of America is the one that sends them fiat. And they turn that into crypto, send it right into my wallet. So they will be like the the shapeshift change leads and the wires and you know, of the world. Uh, that's what I end up seeing is that, yes, the banks will still be there. They'll become the exchange services, but they'll just be like the AT&Ts and Bryson's of the world. They're big. They're relevant, but they're not they're not the Internet companies, right? They're not the Googles. And the I don't Facebooks know. Some of those world. banks may not be as nimble and may not pivot as well. I mean, 
historically what's happened over time, like, you know, the person who in, invented the refrigerator did not invent the icebox, right? I mean, the icebox was a totally different thing. And the, people would come and they'd bring you these big chunks of ice and then they put it in your, and then, you know, right. Western Union did not become PayPal because they didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't see it. Right. So, I mean, banks, you know, they like to do business the way they like to do business, it seems. But it's not a pivot. Yeah. That's kind of the difference is okay. operating exchange isn't a pivot. It's what you've been doing. It's what banks have been doing. They, they always have been an exchange. They've always been a custodial service mm-hmm. and they've always been a kind of money transfer kind service. Of a so it's not actually yeah, a pivot. kind of an internal way of how they think about their business. It's not even a rebrand. It's just another, you're just slapping another currency onto it. They're just like, okay, we did USD, we did Euro. Well, oh yeah, now we're also doing crypto. They're just slapping another currency. It's not a rebrand. It's not a change in the business, not a pivot. The pivot would be to offer a, a non-custodial application that sits on top, is globally accessible, and allows people to control their money. Right? That would be the pivot. But being an exchange, that's not a pivot. That's what they've been doing. Now, maybe offering that as an API. Well, banks are already kind of opening up APIs for a lot of different things. This would just be another one. Right? It, it aligns very, very much with what they are good at doing and what they can absorb from the cryptocurrency industry. What they can't absorb is this world like, well, an app that's private and you know no one has access to that money but that person and they can send it anywhere, anywhere, you know, anywhere in the world that has internet access. That's a pivot. That I don't imagine banks doing. Or I imagine like the like, FDIC, but, right? They have that, per- that protection up to $250,000 on your account. Exactly. They, maybe if you exactly. had that with crypto, I mean, that would be like, oh, well, man, my crypto is protected up to this amount. That would make some people feel confident in in dealing with some of those banks. Because right now, if you have $250,000 sitting on a wallet and it just goes poof and you can't access it anymore, you're host. Yeah, you're totally host. Except that I don't think banks are going to be holding much money in the future compared to how much they're holding today because we now have an option to hold it ourselves. So being an exchange doesn't necessarily make you a custodian of kind of idle user funds. You know, you might be a custodian of the funds that people trade. They're going to be like the E-Trade, you know, the custodians of like an E-Trade account, but only the traders leave funds there. Everyone else doesn't. We don't need to. If we're trading, you know, with a bot or, you know, high frequency trading, then yeah, sure, we'll leave funds there. But the average consumer doesn't. And so we won't, as an average consumer, we won't need for the, for the vast majority of our, our use an actual bank account. We can hold our own funds. The banks pivot in the sense that their their pivot is they're holding less funds for consumers, but holding funds more for traders, and then allowing funds to get basically transferred and exchanged into and out of currencies, which is something they already do today. Right? They already allow you to do that. Paul, as I look at the wallet, I notice a lot of the usual suspects in here that you can hold, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Ethereum, Monero, Litecoin, EOS, Ripple, Stellar, Dash, Digibyte. But then I see some lesser known ones in here like UFO and Gresselcoin and Feathercoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so why? How, how are those in there and how does somebody get their coin into the wallet? So Grosslecoin, actually, to give an example, is a coin that's been around for quite some time. And they've proven themselves to at least not be a kind of pump and dump and run uh, runaway once they've exited. They've been around, I think, since 2014. And they've been asking for integration into Airbit since then. But we were purely a Bitcoin wallet at the time. And the architecture didn't allow us to expand to other currencies. So as soon as Edge came out, that was an opportunity to get support for other currencies similar to Bitcoin. And they submitted the the code necessary to get added to it. And then also gave us some financial support to support the coin. 
You know, so we don't ask for a lot of money to, to get a coin added. It's really to pay for the technical support that our team will have to field calls for when people uh, call and say, oh, okay, this is coin working. How do I use it? Or uh, any, any little nuance of the network refining is effectively not free. Even if there's zero effort to add a coin into a wallet, it's not zero effort to support it. And so uh, them contributing the support and giving us a bit of financial support and paying for some support to be able to, to service the coin is what got them into, into Edge. And so there's some evaluation into the process for sure and, and making sure that we're not putting in kind of fly-by-night uh, projects. But otherwise, you know, so long as a project is putting in the effort and giving us a, some financial support to support the user base that calls us regarding that coin, uh, we'll accept it. That's pretty handy, Mr. Joe Kahn, with the Gretzel. That's one of the algorithms that is in bad coin. Right. That's right. Yep. Indeed it is. I, I wonder if there would be some in our community that would uh, be asking Edge to put bad coin in the wallet. Yeah, we'd definitely be happy to kind of entertain that idea. Let us know and see if you have any developers that can help out with the implementation. And we'll definitely look at it. Oh, there you go. Bad coin community. You, the CIT, we told you we're not going to, you know mobilize to do this ourselves because we want to make sure that this coin remains a community coin. But, uh, you know, when you all want to reach out to Paul, what, what's a, what's the best way to reach you, Paul? Um, usually get in touch with me, uh, right on my email, you know, paul at edge.app. Um, if you want to make sure that somebody responds, if, uh, I happen to be traveling info at edge.app is a good way. And that's how most people do reach out regarding uh, new coin additions. Well, there you go. I have a question. Sure. So I, I'm looking here and I'm, and I'm on the Edge app right now. And it says, um, this is my total balance page. And then I said, add a token. Boom, I'm adding a token. And then it, it looks as if it's alphabetical, but it's Augur is top. And then it goes Hercules and then Wings and then Aragon. And then it's like it's kind of alphabetical, yeah, but exactly. like not. So we have partners. So there's that's a whole other aspect of the tech that Edge builds that, uh, builds that kind of go into Edge is unique in a sense that it's, it's got different key management, right? The whole encrypted key with a username and password, back it up automatically, two-factor password recovery. That effectively is an SDK, a software development kit that other apps can use. And so what we do for other apps that use our, our development kit, and most of them are Ethereum-based apps, is we support their token inside of Edge. And, so, and because people can actually log into their app and create a wallet in their app by just simply scanning a barcode from from their app using Edge, using Edge, the mobile wallet, right? The mobile app. So that you can create multiple wallets within your wallet. Oh, yeah, you can create multiple. You can create multiple Ethereum wallets. You can create multiple Bitcoin wallets. You can actually create multiple accounts that sit on the phone. So we call an account, you know, a username is, is, is what you create for an account. Within that account, you can have multiple wallets and multiple of each currency. So you don't have to have just one Ethereum. You can give it an arbitrary name, like, you know, my Ethereum wallet, my kid's Ethereum wallet, my kid's college Bitcoin fund, whatever you want to call it, you can, you can name it. That is actually some unique uh, functionality in Edge. And so each of these apps that you might log into creates a wallet for that app, and then it shows up inside of Edge. And then we want to natively support their tokens so that you can see those tokens that you might have in that partner app, those tokens show up inside of Edge as well. And so those uh, those top three were some of our partners. So Augur, you can use them, scan a barcode, you log into Augur, creates the wallet, backs it up, and you see your Ether and Rep tokens inside of Edge. And the same thing with uh, Anthem Gold, which is a, a gold-backed uh, stable coin, I guess you can call it, um, which is the AGLD 
coin inside of edge is what you see and same with the wings and uh indoors perfect yep. nice to see mobile wallets becoming more than wallets kind of all in ones as we move forward here in this magical world of blockchain and crypto the site to check out the app is edge.app available for ios and for android devices and uh, paul Puey, thanks so much for joining us and being a man on the edge today oh man never heard that pun before but yeah thanks for having me for sure Damn it. Uh, enjoy the conversation living on the edge Mr. Travis Wright, I am digging the Edge wallet. I, you know, I dabble with a lot of the different wallets. I don't store all my crypto in one place. I like to play with all the different tools. I'm like, oh, let's try this one here and see how it works. And Paul's onto something with this wallet. It really is highly functional and does a lot of different mm-hmm. things. And uh, he said that maybe someday we'll get uh, we'll get bad on there. Yeah, we've actually had some really cool stuff go on here recently in in the bad coin front. There, you know, it's like we're not on we're not on the edge wall yet, but oh, that's right, Mister Travis Wright. It's a bad coin update. Thanks for reminding me because we have some super exciting news that just came our way. That's true. So we may not be on the edge wallet yet, but I think that might be in the works. There's some um, some other exchanges. I think we need to get on before we can get on that exchange. Or get on that one. However, I think last week, didn't we mention that we got on CoinGecko? Yep, we mentioned that we're on CoinGecko, and we just heard from Edward Moncada, the CEO of Blockfolio. Of course, we recently interviewed him on episode number, just a few episodes ago. And uh, I'm not sure what number that was, but you guys episode can Episode number few, badco.in forward slash few episodes ago. Yeah, dot com. .org.io. <laughs> uh, and we, BAD is now officially listed on Blockfolio. That's so true. Actually, he said that he's like, maybe, maybe I'll be able to get it on. And I, I didn't hear confirmation. But uh, a couple of days ago, I looked, to, I just typed in BAD and BAD coin popped up. So the exchange that we're on, BOA exchange, and all of those tokens that were on there got listed on uh, Blockfolio as well. And uh, when he had that conversation with him, he loved the idea of BAD coin. And so if you're not mining yet, go to badcoin.net and start mining. You know, we need more miners out there. We've had as many as 500 miners at the same time, and there's an ebb and flow to this. But you know what? That's good news. We're on CoinGecko now. People can track it. We're on Blockfolio. People can track it. The price is not huge, but the price does not matter. What matters is that you're mining and you're learning about cryptos, and it's fun. Yeah, and the I think we mentioned this as well, but um, a, a guy in in our Telegram actually works with Divi, and they created a Divi tip bot that people are using the tip Divi on Divi's Telegram. Well, he basically took that code because he loves Badcoin as well, and he ported it to a bad tip bot. So if you are on our Telegram, badcode.in forward slash uh, telegram then you can get tipped bad coin it's like a wallet that it, you know stores it on telegram and you could actually withdraw them to your bad coin address yeah it's so cool we have a bad tip bot <laughs> where bad. you can leave bad tips which is hilarious so yeah so there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the community guys and so i mean you know 
keep keep at, we're, we got the action keeping moving and it's exciting you know what I know Joel is reading a book. What, what is the book about Bitcoin billionaires you're reading? Uh, it's Bitcoin Billionaires by Ben Mesrick. Ben is a New York Times bestselling author who wrote The Accidental Billionaires, which is the story about Mark Zuckerberg and the foundation of, of Facebook, which became the movie the social network and his latest book is called bitcoin billionaires and what it does is it tracks the story of the winklevi who came out looking like dumb jocks in the uh in the film the social network and ben has Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time interviewing them and charlie shrem and roger ver and he's he thinks completely different. He's like, these guys are super smart. It just so happened they were also, you know, jocks on the the Olympic rowing team. But lightning doesn't strike twice like it has. I mean, these guys have one person or uh, they, they own one twentieth almost of the Bitcoin supply, right? Or one percent of the Bitcoin supply. Um, and they're not dumb. They were the first Bitcoin billionaires. And I wrote to Ben and I said, Hey, would you come on bad crypto? He said, absolutely. So we're going to be interviewing him shortly as well. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading the book called digital gold, which talks about the early days of Satoshi Nakamoto and Hal Finney. And uh, it also type talks in, talks about Eric Voorhees. And so it's interesting. It's, it's the concurrent story line from but 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 how they go parallel to one another. Mm-hmm. So I think we're both reading books around that. Maybe we'll get the the author of uh, Digital Gold on as well. It's, it's a really fascinating book. But the, my point is is that for the first like year and a half of Bitcoin, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on with it. I mean, it would start. I mean, there was just a few nodes. Not too many people got onto it. And really, the 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 first big moment for Bitcoin was the Slashdot article in July of 2010. And that's when I first heard about Bitcoin. What was interesting to me, Mr. Joel Com, was that after that happened, after that article happened, it, it, it bumped up to 20,000 people who were mining Bitcoin at that time. So technically, I was one of the first 20,000 people to mine Bitcoin. You are a trailblazer, my friend, on the cutting edge, as, yeah. uh, as Rush Limbaugh would say, of societal evolution. Yeah, except that I didn't really see it. I was like, okay, that was cool. Damn, this is tearing up my computer. All right, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I, was th- I, I was thinking about this as I'm reading this book. I'm tearing through it. It's it's really written very well. He's a great storyteller. And I think uh, I actually heard Ben on the Dennis Miller option, which is another great mm-hmm. podcast. Um, Dennis interviewed him. And I'm like, oh, I got to read this. And I am tearing through this book faster than any book that I've read in the last year and i'm thinking i didn't even know you read i that's new to me well i read the teasers you know that (laughs) that's true i do know that i write them and i read them both uh anyway as i'm reading it i'm thinking you know i do remember prior to you know you and i getting involved probably 2014 and 15 there were some peers and i don't remember who it was but i remember them saying bitcoin and and uh, again woodlock said it was him he said he was telling you I, about yeah, it. Yeah, he always says he's telling me stuff. I didn't didn't get it. And it's really interesting because for me, I'm usually, you know, right there. And I think, you know, it's I was post-divorce. I was, you know, getting my my legs as a, a single guy again. And it's just, you know, I had taken a sabbatical and was just going to focus on rebuilding whatever business I was going to have. And I just wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, dude, why weren't you paying attention? 
You could have been you could have been the guy that they were writing about. But then again, you know, Roger Ver went to jail. Charlie Shrem went <laughs> to jail. I don't know that I would yeah. I would not have been selling illegal yeah. goods, though, like those guys. I know probably what would have happened is, you know, with the Mount Gox thing with Jed McCaleb, it talks about that and how he decided to create that site because there was no way for people to to buy Bitcoin 24 hours a day. And once all the people from Slashdot got on, the difficulty went up like 300 percent. And so then it was harder for laptops. So like I got in, I was like one of the, like I got in right at the last time when it was possible to mine crypto with a laptop shortly thereafter with all the influx of Slashdot people, then, then it just made it impossible. And so that what happened was, was the dude Laszlo, the dude who did the, uh, the pizzas, you got the two pizzas for 10,000, 10,000 Bitcoin. He was the first guy to put together the GPU and so he was putting the, these GPUs together and he was mining way more Bitcoin than everybody else. And so that's how the GPU thing got started. And you could no longer use CPUs. I think it's interesting. And you're a futurist. Speaking of read and reading and writing, uh, read, read. How do you say that? Read, write. That is a hard thing to say. Read, write, web. What it's, is, it's not, just not read, write, dot com. It's not hard to say at all. Read, write, dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Say it read, times write. fast. Read, write, read, write, read, write.com says you're one of the top futurists in the world to come speak at people's events. And Mr. Travis Wright, you're listed on that list as well. So you're kind of a big deal. Man, not as big as you, Mr. Number One. That is awesome. Congratulations. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I'm pretty excited. And look, we may have missed, uh, you know, the beginning of this. You didn't miss it. You just kind of screwed it up. But I I may have. I fumbled. (laughs) What happened was I fumbled. At the at the goal line, and um, that was sad. Well, you're not you're not alone, and a lot of people did. And who knows what would have happened if you hadn't? You know, you might have bought some pizzas with it. Probably would I probably would have put it on Mount Gox and would have lost it all. Mm-hmm. Then you'd be crying about that story. That's true. You'd be like, you'd be like, mm, curse you, Mark Capetis. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> We're here now and you're here now. And that's what's important because crypto is still getting its legs, learning to walk. And let's just time stamp this. It is um, Saturday afternoon. This podcast comes out Sunday night. Bitcoin is at 11,467 with 62.5% market dominance, a $326 billion market cap. We've only just begun. Ooh, to be bad, to stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.